0: What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 5th of January 2021. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, and access things like American Netflix, HBO Max, mbc gold pass whatever you want from that aspect you can also protect your data much better online and protect yourself from hackers and ne'er-do-wells who, who might want to steal your money check out the services at liberty shield.com there's a hardware package and a software package use the code eplvpn to get 20% off at checkout we're also brought to you by home of hopcroft for all your homeware needs check out home of hopcroft at home right only the one game last night, and I'm not very happy. I might as well be honest from the start. In fact, to say that I was livid would probably be an understatement. Southampton won, Liverpool nil. Another depressing performance by the league champions, um, and their arrogance really is what cost them in this game. More than anything, their arrogance is what cost them in this game. Jordan Henderson was drafted in to play centre back despite evidence that he can't play there. And that evidence mounted throughout this game. Uh, he played everybody onside two minutes in. A James Ward-Prowse free kick. Henderson drops the line. Plays Danny Ings onside. Trent Alexander-Arnold makes a hames of whatever he was trying to do. And Danny Ings lobs Alison Becker. A great finish. Really, really cheeky finish with a lob from the angle over the keeper into the back corner. Clearly something that him and Ward-Prowse have worked on. A really good goal, but Liverpool, masters of their own demise. Um, The game continued in a manner where Liverpool had most of the ball and Southampton looked by far the more dangerous team. The pace and movement of Ings and Walcott caused Liverpool centre-backs problems. Uh, Henderson was positionally all over the place. It's, it's not surprising. Look, it's not his fault that he had a stinker of a game. He's not a centre-back. He is not a positionally aware holding midfielder. You watch him play in the holding midfield role. His positioning is poor. He doesn't read the game well, and he doesn't track runners. You take all of that, you put him to centre-back. You're just not going to get good results. Also factor in the fact that despite being 6-1, he's surprisingly poor in the air it's just not going to work for him at centre-back. Um, he had a Dejan Lovren moment a little bit later in the game, um, which, you know, it's never a pleasant thing to say that somebody has had, but he did have himself a Lovren moment when he attempted to cut out a cross in the or a, a, a through ball in the air, missed it by a mile, and Nathan Teller breaks onto it and shoots wide but uh you know not not a good look not a good look at all. Liverpool were just desperate in this game. Trent Alexander-Arnold had another stinker. He continues to be poor and it is a big concern. Alex Oxley-Chamberlain had a start, did not play well. Uh Thiago Alcântara played as the number 6 in this game. Tried to inject some class into the game but he did struggle with the I suppose, the pace and tempo of the game a little bit. Ginny Wijnaldum had not had a solid enough game in midfield. Robertson and Fabinho were good. The front three were as poor as you'll see them be collectively. Uh, Liverpool had 17 shots in this game, only one of them on target. They had over 60% of the possession. Most of it was pointless. Most of it was aimless. And for Southampton, it's, it's just a great win. It really is a great win for them. Um, they were Compact at the back They were aggressive in midfield At times maybe a little bit too much And we'll get on to Andre Mariner in a minute But for Saints They followed the game plan To the letter of the law What Hassan Hootle set them out to do They did exactly that ibrahima Diallo coming into the team To replace Ariel Romeo Was I thought the man of the match By Country Mile I thought he was exceptional In, in that, that midfield role they were missing missing Vestergaard as well. They were also missing Che Adams. So, you know, Liverpool of course have injuries at the moment, but so did Southampton, and Southampton had their backup goalkeeper in as well, and Fraser Forster making his first start for Saints in a couple of years, uh, in the, in the league anyway, because um, Alex McCarthy was ruled out. So, I mean, four players right through the spine of your team is not ideal, but Saints dealt with it really well. I thought Jack Stevens had a good game. Theo Walcott looked dangerous. Forster did what he was asked to do and like I say, I thought Diallo was, was exceptional in midfield with Ward Prowse so they can absolutely be happy with, with what with what this game was for them they can absolutely be happy with the fact that it pushes them right back up into 6th uh, position, now they have played a game more than Everton who they're level on points with and one spot above on goal difference but Everton's game in hand is against City, so that won't be an easy game at all. Um Saints have been really good this season. The the turnaround under Hassan Hootel since November of last year, the, sorry, the year before, it, as it is now, uh 2019, has just been incredible. The faith they showed in him, the faith he showed in the players, the way he's gotten into their heads and convinced them that this is the right way to play the fact that they've all bought into it and every single one of those players is fully committed to doing whatever it is that their manager asks. It's very similar to what you see at Liverpool. Very, very similar. A very tight-knit group of players, a very hard-working group of players, a very determined group of players who don't shy away from anybody. Um, Up next, they've got Shrewsbury in the FA Cup at home. Then they go to Leicester, they go to Leeds They have Arsenal at home And then they have Villa at home So that is a very tough run of games uh, Over the next Three, four weeks for Southampton They've also got United at the start of February Which won't be an easy game at all um, United are the big winners From last night obviously They sit second but level and points at Liverpool Now they have a game in hand That game in hand is against Burnley So if they were to win that they would go into the meeting of Liverpool and Manchester United three points clear, uh, making that a massive, massive game and a game Liverpool would have to win. Um, I think Saints could be in the market in January. I think they'd like a bit of left-back cover. They look like they're going to tie Ryan Bertrand down to a contract extension, maybe a little bit of left-back cover there. They have cover at right back. They're fairly well set in central midfield and central defence. They've got good goalkeeping options. And, of course, they still own Angus Gunn, who's a much better goalkeeper than we saw last year. Um, So they can always bring him back. I do think maybe one more in either attacking midfield or attack could help. Um, But for January, I wouldn't expect much other than maybe some left-back cover to be brought in. And they might look to explore the loan market to send out a couple of the lads that aren't aren't getting much game time right now. Um, For Liverpool, th- this result doesn't come as a surprise. You know, when you see a team line up with, with Jordan Henderson at centre-back, you know that things aren't going well. And you don't really expect the game to go all that well. But this isn't a one-off for Liverpool. This isn't just, well, this game was poor, but everything else has been great. Yes, they're at the top of the league, but... Nobody can argue that Liverpool have been good this season. They've had a couple of good performances. They were very good against Arsenal. They were very good away to Chelsea. They were very good at home to Leicester. And they were very good against Wolves. And of course they went and they walloped Crystal Palace 7-0. But those five games are very much an outlier. Now they did play well against Spurs, so you'll give them that credit. So that's six games out of 17 that Liverpool have played well in. This season They didn't play particularly well On the opening day against Leeds They did create plenty of chances But defensively they were atrocious Then there was Chelsea Then there was Arsenal They were A disgrace Against Aston Villa And lost 7-2 The derby is a weird one They did play well enough to win But I don't know that they played well it's, it's a very tough game because that's one game I have not watched back this season. Largely because of the Van Dyke injury, I just can't watch that over and over again. So if you want to say they played well, fine. But there's still 10 other games this season that they haven't played well. They, they weren't good against Sheffield United. They weren't good against West Ham. They did manage to win those games, but they didn't necessarily deserve to win them. The City game, I mean, it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, Leicester, they played very well. They were awful away to Brighton. Good against Wolves. Awful away to Fulham. Deserved to lose that game. The Spurs game was the Spurs game. They wall Palace. That was a, a great performance, uh, especially the second half. The first half was was weird. Liverpool went in three nil up, but could very easily have gone in two one down. Uh, West Brom was atrocious. Newcastle was an abomination, and last night was what it was. So this has been an all-season problem for Liverpool. It's not just a recency thing. They have been poor most of the season. And in truth, they were poor when football restarted last year. Like, they went in to lockdown having lost once in 29 games. Watford had beaten them in week, in week 28. Prior to that, they'd only dropped points once. A one-all draw with United in week nine when United parked the bus. But other than that, they'd just been beating teams every single week. It's the most remarkable 27-game run I think you're likely to see, other than the Arsenal unbeaten season. But even then, they had far more draws. Liverpool had one draw in 27 and won the other 26. The title was over in February. They had the league wrapped up in February. They lost to Watford, then they beat Bournemouth, and then football stopped. And when they came back, they never quite looked the same. They did wallop Crystal Palace, but I mean it's Crystal Palace. They didn't play well at home to Villa. The Brighton game was weird. Henderson got injured, and it, it sort of felt really flat after that. Um, they were poor at home to Burnley, poor away to Arsenal. The Chelsea game was like a basketball match. They never really had control. And then Newcastle on the final day of the season, they just weren't as good. They haven't been as good since football restarted. Be- before that, they looked all conquering. They'd won the Champions League the year before. They'd finished second on 97 points. They'd only lost two games from 57. Sorry, 67. Two games from, fi- from 67. They proceeded then to lose two by the end of the season. They've lost another two this season. They just weren't, haven't been the same team. Now, whether last season it was down to the fact that they knew the title was wrapped up, I don't know. But, you know, they really had an opportunity to smash the, the points record. And they threw that away. They'd obviously lost the opportunity to be Um, invincible before that to Watford. But that, you know, going unbeaten is is very, very difficult. Um, I just don't feel Liverpool have been the same team since football restarted. And it's really strange. And it's every area of the field. Defensively, they're clearly not as good. Now, you can't factor this season that Van Dyke has been out. But Van Dyke was there for the 7-2. He was there last season for the second half, for the, the games after restart. So he was there for a big part of it. And Fabinho has been exceptional since moving to centre-back. But you t- the problem is, Fabinho's not as good as Van Dyke as a centre-back. And they have nobody close to Fabinho's level as a holding midfielder. So you've got two areas of the team that are weakened by Fab having to go play centre-back. They've brought in Thiago, they've barely seen him this season. Hopefully, he can stay fit now and have a, a you know a long run of games in the league. But for that to happen, they're going to need to sort something out behind. Because I think you've got to try and get Fabinho back into midfield for certain games. Now, he's going to play most of his games at centre-back for the end of the season. Unless Liverpool sign two centre-backs which I think is very unlikely. Um, they could do it. I mean, they could bring in, say, a, a David Carmel on a permanent deal and maybe an Eder Militao on a loan, or Issa Diop on loan, if West Ham or, or Real Madrid were willing to play ball. Maybe you do a loan with an option or an obligation to buy in the summer. Carmel would count as an under-21 player, so he wouldn't take up a non-homegrown spot, to my knowledge. They're looking to sell Divock Origi. That will open up one spot. They could always just release Adrian. He has six months left in his contract. He's clearly the number three. And I don't think they'd be all that worried about losing him. Cuevin Kelleher has overtaken him, overtaken him as the number two. If Al- anything happens to Alison Becker, it's Kelleher who will play. It's not Adrian. So they could re- just release him and let him go. He does have apparently some interest from clubs in Spain. And maybe he'd like to go home at this point in his career. So that could open up two spots. So they could go for two over the age of 21. But Carmo and Emilia Tower, Diop, would really answer all their problems. Um, It would put Fabinho back into midfield for certain games. And you're not going to want to play Carmo and Amilitao every game. But Matip will be back at some point and he will play some games. Fabinho will keep playing some games. But you will be able to put Fabinho and Thiago together. And that's what they want. They want Fabinho and Thiago together. Arguably the best holding midfielder in the world. Arguably arguably the best central midfielder in the world. And then that third role can become a rotated role. Where if you want a box-to-box runner. You've got Henderson. If you want pace and attacking thrust. You've got Oxlade-Chamberlain. If you want creativity. You've got Naby Keita. If you want a little bit of extra defensive cover, or you want to free him up to play his Netherlands role, you've got Jenny Wijnaldum, who can pretty much be anything you want him to be. And then if you just want, you know, the sun to disappear and everything to stop being happy, you can play James Milner there. I mean, that's fine. Curtis Jones is still there. I think he'll play a lot less in the second half of the season if they get their business done in January. Um, he's been overplayed without question. 68 minutes coming into the season, uh, over 1,100 already this year. So he needs to play less. Um, what he has done is establish himself really well as a long-term fixture in this team. But, I mean, you could play Curtis, Fabinho and Thiago and be very, very happy with that, as long as you were going to let Curtis be Curtis and not try and restrict his game. Um, the front three all look exhausted. I don't know what Tacky Minamino has done to offend Jurgen Klopp, but having scored and played well, against Crystal Palace. He now hasn't been seen for three games. Um, Shakiri seems to be back in favour a little bit, which is good. Uh, came on last night for Oxley chamberlain who, like I say, didn't play well. They are missing Jota, and he, I think, is due back the second week of February, or the first week of February, so it's still, it's still a good way out. But at least that's something promising on the horizon. They weren't entirely to blame for their own downfall last night. It is largely on Jurgen Klopp. It is largely on themselves. I do think they've been overconfident, bordering on arrogant in the last three games, just expecting to beat these teams. And I think it was disrespectful to play Henderson at centre back last night um, against a team that has Danny Ings up front. But, you know, Klopp will claim he had no option. Some have said, oh, well, you know, you want the seniority of Henderson there. See, Henderson's not a senior centre-back. He's not a senior centre-back at all. He played there for half against Fulham and didn't look good. He played there in the World Club, Club Cup and looked awful. Not Phillips and Reese Williams might be much younger than Henderson, but as centre-backs, they're far senior to him. They're far more experienced at centre-back than him. Uh, the idea was that he progressed the ball out from the back that he would be able to play through the press. He doesn't play through the press. He never does. Even when he plays in midfield, if he gets pressed, he turns back and plays the ball backwards. So what press was he going to play through? He just knocked it back to Alison Becker or lumped it long. Tried that stupid cross he does as well from (laughs) centre-back. What are you doing? Um, But Andre Mariner... Absolutely shocking. And, and I mean, absolutely shocking. Jack Stevens handled the ball in the area. Nothing was given. VAR reviewed it and said that it was ball to hand. Um, look, I'm okay with that one because the it, it is quite close to him. But he does dive and have his arms in a position where he can block the ball. Uh, Saudi Mane was fouled in the box by Kyle Walker-Peters and nothing was given. We just saw Paul Pogba get a penalty for a lesser version of the same foul on Friday night when Douglas Luiz brushed his leg and caused him to trip himself. Well, Walker-Peters firstly brushes his leg, brushes Mane's leg, and then hooks his other leg. So I'm not sure how it's not a penalty. Maybe because Mane is running out of play. I don't know, but it is a penalty. It is a stonewall penalty. Did Liverpool deserve anything from the game? I don't know. I don't think they did. I think they deserved to lose last night because I just think they were really, really poor. I think the the performance level was just lacking. The leadership in the team is non-existent and has been for months now. You can go all the way back to when Van Dyke got hurt. Since then, this team has lacked real leadership, real direction, real organisation. Van Dyke was the... His signing was the catalyst of this Liverpool team going from a good team to a great team. He is the foundation that this team has run up on. Everything stems from the day he arrived. He allowed them to play a much higher line. He allowed them to play a much much more aggressive style. He hid some of the flaws in the midfield. He allowed them to compress space. And because of him, they took a massive jump. His leadership, his organization, the communication, the way he holds others accountable for their errors. doesn't just scream and swear at them like we saw last night. I did feel bad for Trent Alexander-Arnold when the senior player is swearing at you constantly. And you're 22 and you're going through the first really tough patch of your career. And we don't know why you probably do. The club might. Maybe there's something off pitch. Who knows? Maybe it's because you had COVID in the summer and you haven't fully recovered. Maybe the calf strain is still an issue. But what you need there is you need real leadership. And there was none in that Liverpool team last night. None at all. there hasn't been in months. Van Dijk was able to organise everybody from his position at left centre-back because Liverpool made the pitch so small. And Liverpool were able to play at an incredibly high tempo because they made the pitch so small. Liverpool cut the pitch in half. Van Dijk and whoever would stand on the halfway line. Fabinho would stand in front of them. And they would just compress the space. And if you wanted to get out of that, you had to play through the front three. Then the next line of Henderson and Wijnaldum. Plus the wing, the, the full backs pushing on as wing backs. So your option was try and play through them risk the turnover, risk getting caught in transition, or lump it long and hope you can get out in time. But with the pace of Van Dijk and Gomez, Van Dijk and Matip, the high line that Allison Becker would hold, Liverpool would just compress the space all over again. And they would keep that tempo up longer than you could keep up your, your resilience against it. Without Van Dijk, that's gone. Liverpool have to play a deeper line now because they don't have the pace to deal with the ball in behind. The midfield, obviously, without Fabinho, nowhere near as good. They do have a little bit more control when Thiago plays, but that was to be the next iteration of what they were going to do. That was for the really stubborn, deep blocks where rather than having Henderson and Wijnaldum, you might have Thiago and Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum work off the ball, Thiago work on the ball everything else stays the same. Liverpool's inability to compress half of the pitch, the, the full pitch into half the pitch, is what's hampering them badly this season. The lack of leadership is obviously hampering them this season. So, things are not going well for Liverpool at the moment. Yes, they're still top of the league, and yes, you know they qualified in the Champions League, but the league is poor this year. There's just no way around it. It's exciting, but it's poor. It's unpredictable, but it's poor. And if Liverpool were anywhere close to their normal level that we'd seen for the previous two years, they would be, I don't know, 10 points clear as a minimum. Probably 10 points clear. Um, Andre Mariner as well last night, just to get back to him for a quick second. uh, Theo Walcott, threw himself two-footed, studs up into James Milner after Milner had played the ball, caught him, and not even a free kick was given. It didn't even seem to be reviewed by VAR. Now, maybe it was, but if it was and they didn't book him, and it was at a minimum booking, a booking, at minimum a booking, it probably should have been a red card. It was a horrendous tackle. Walcott's lucky it was Milner. Because Milner's made out of uh, concrete, I think. Um, Milner got up fairly quick, but it was a really bad tackle. And Mariner just waved it on, just didn't care. Now, he's always been a bad referee. Always. There's there's never been a time where you could look at him and say, yeah, no, you're, you're happy to have him. As the referee in this game. Because he's just always been dreadful. He is 50 years of age. He's too old to be refereeing in the Premier League. Let's be clear on that. A 50 year old man is physically not capable of keeping up. With 20 something footballers. Who train at a much higher level. He's been a Premier League referee. For 15 years. He's been bad. For all of us. He is most famous. I would say, like, he's refereed in FA Cup. He's refereed in the European Championship, on the 19 European Championships. He's refereed, you know, playoff finals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. His most notable moment in his career was sending off Kieran Gibbs for a handball committed by Alex Oxley That is the most notable thing. He has done in his career. And that says it all about him, really. He's a poor referee. He's always been a poor referee. And it's not just because... I said this a few weeks ago about him. It's not just because he messed up in a Liverpool game. I am angry about it, believe me. But he is just a bad referee. And he's too old to be refereeing in the Premier League. I'm sorry, he just is. Why are we? Lo- why is the 50-year-old referees in the Premier League? Referees should be in and around the same age as players. They just should. Referees should be getting recruited from players who get released by their academies at 17, 18. The Referees Association, PGMOL, should be looking to recruit those people in and train them as referees. Have them run a couple of years in the Football League, and then move them up to the Premier League in their mid-twenties. I'd have them out the door by 36, 37. And that should be it. Then then they can go on and they can, you know, whatever, they can become linesmen. Maybe they just become referees assistants. It's easier. Come forth officials. Maybe at that point they can transition into doing something else, becoming, I don't know, match overseers or whatever you want. But the idea of a 50-year-old Referee is, is just bananas It just shouldn't be the way Um, Especially him He is he is awful, genuinely an awful referee um, Not a whole lot of news Premier League wise But there is some news in the lower leagues today That I wanted to just touch on uh, Unfortunately it appears that the takeover Of Wigan Athletic Has fallen through Leganes owner Felipe Moreno Was due to buy The club but he, over the weekend, reduced his bid on the club by almost 50%. Had that gone through, it would have resulted in a 15-point dedu- deduction for Wigan. Now, remember, they went down last season because of some really shady behavior on behalf of their owner, who bought the club off some other mystic, strange person that nobody knew who he was, and then immediately put them into administration, causing them to be docked 12 points and go down, it can only have been gambling-related. There can be no other logical reason to it. Because Wigan were quite decent last season. They had a really good young core of players. They were really going in the right direction as a club. And now their future is so bleak. There's no owner. Nobody seems to want to buy the club now. They're in the relegation positions in in League One. They're two points off been safe. Obviously Paul Cook quit in the summer, then John Sheridan took over. He has since quit and he's gone on to take over at Swindon. It's just it's such a heartbreaking situation. It's so hard to look at this situation and not feel really, really bad for all Wigan fans because their club has been just decimated by scumbags, absolute scumbags. And it really does strike to the heart of the argument that the the football league do a good job at vetting owners. They just don't. How was that man allowed to take that club over? He paid millions for the club, slapped them in administration, and then walked away. He just threw away millions in an investment, which means he had to be getting it back from somewhere. Nobody's ever found proof that he actually exists either. Nobody's met him from the Football League, from Wigan. Nobody knows who he is. He's just really, really shady. The owner before him was really, really shady as well. Moved the club around a couple of times among different shell companies. Since Dave Whelan sold Wigan, they have just been through a rough, rough time. And it's it's just, it's hard to take. You know, they won the FA Cup not that long ago. Not that long ago. And now they're heading for life in League 2. They were really on the up. 12 months ago, Wigan were really on the up. They had such a good young squad. They had a really productive academy. Everything was going so well for them. And now, nothing is going well. Absolutely nothing is going well for them. But, I mean, if you look at the players that left in the summer, uh, Jensen Weir, hugely talented young player, gone to Brighton. Alfie Devine, another hugely talented young player, gone to Spurs. Joe Gelhardt, another hugely talented young player, gone to Leeds. Joe Williams went to Bristol, very very good player. Anthony Robinson went to Fulham, very very good player. Jamal Lowe on to Swansea, another one. Uh, Cedric Kipre onto West Brom I mean, I don't know much about him, but he, he's meant to be quite good. He hasn't played a whole lot for them yet. But Weir, Divine, and Gelhardt were the three. They were three massive, massive talents that they had on their books. They got two million for the three of those combined, not each combined. They lost Leon Balligan, who's gone on to play a big part for Rangers this year. They just did have a very good squad. They were really proud of what they put together, what their academy was producing. And to have not just your present snatched away, not just the likes of Balligan and, uh, and Robinson and Williams, but to have your future, the, the three young players that, you had long-term ambitions to build around, to have all of them taken away as well. That's really, really hard. Really, really hard for them to take. And it's so unfortunate. And somebody needs to step in and save Wigan Football Club. Wigan Athletic Football Club needs saving. So if anyone listening to this has a few million, there's a club with a great fan base They're waiting to be taken over. It's going to take a lot of work, but somebody needs to do it. Um, Fleetwood Town have parted ways with Joey Barton, uh, which is a bit of a surprising move. Having been in the playoffs last season, and this season they are only three points outside the playoff spots, they've made a decision to remove Barton, his two main coaches, Clint Hill and Andy Mangan, and the director of football, Eddie Jennings. Um, the owner said, you know, they just felt it was the right time to go in a different direction. It it seems like a really strange one to me, whether the pending court case that Barton has coming up this summer had any impact on it. I don't know, but you know, they just, there were four games unbeaten. They had the last couple of games, I think were postponed because of, of COVID, but they'd been in good form. Going into that i, I just think it's a strange move it is a strange move. I wonder will Joey Barton bounce back quickly will he be will he find another job uh, as, as quickly? A, a lot of clubs will be put off by his reputation as a person as a player, but as a manager he's done he's done a pretty good job. It really does need to be said he's done a pretty good job there at Fleetwood and um you know I like that he went to a lower league team. He's won 40% of his games there. I, I like what he's done. I do. I like what Joey Barton has done. Didn't jump to a big club. Tried to do things the right way. I think you'll get another job. I, I just, it might have to be another sort of league one or league two team, uh, rather than a level higher because clubs might just be put off by him a little bit. um, And the final bit of news then before we get into some gossip is that Sheffield United are investigating images which appeared on social media which look to show that Lise Masset crashed his Ferrari. No, sorry, his Lamborghini, even better. Masset is the owner of an orange Lamborghini and apparently it crashed into a number of parked cars and two men in their 20s were arrested on suspicion of being over the limit. Uh, no words yet on whether Massette was in the car, whether he was driving the car, whether he had any knowledge that his car was being uh, driven around Sheffield in the early hours of the morning. I don't imagine there's many orange Lamborghinis in Sheffield. Um, I think at least Massette maybe needs to have a little chat with himself. I don't know why least needs to own a Lamborghini. You know, settle down, <laughs> settle down. Um, right we'll wrap up with some gossip there's not a whole lot today i'm afraid so it is a bit of a quicker show i know i ranted on rave liverpool for a while but you know it is what it is uh this is a great this is great man city are closely monitoring defender sergio ramos's situation at real madrid with an eye to signing the 34-year-old spain captain as a free agent this summer on behalf of every other club in the league do it do it I don't the, the, the there's no logic to this at all. They they have better defenders as things stand. Sergio Ramos is one of the all-time overrated players. He's never been a particularly good defender. He's been very good going forward. He chips in with a lot of goals. He's a great leader and a great captain. But he he's not a, he's not a he's never been a great defender and now he's he's very much not a good defender. Uh has his spectacular moments and does his hero ball stuff but he he puts himself in that many bad positions that of course he's going to have to make last ditch tackles. Uh Ruben Diaz is comfortably better than Sergio Ramos in 2021. Comfortably better as is Limerick Laporte. Now, you know, maybe John Stones isn't but I don't know. I'd still rather have stones at this point than what Ramos will bring to your dressing room. Um, Belgian midfielder Kevin De Bruyne is set to reject Manchester City's first contract offer and is concerned by the pace of negotiations with the club over a new five-year deal. De Bruyne is 29 years of age, so City might be a little bit hesitant given some of the injury problems he's he's had over the last couple of years. They might be a little bit hesitant to... uh, to give him a five-year contract, but, I mean, he is their best player. He's arguably the best player in the league. It'll get done. It'll get done. They'll they'll show him the bag of money. I think he'll be quite happy. Um, Tottenham are not looking to loan out England midfielder Deli Ali, but Argentina goalkeeper Paulo Gasaniga and English defender Danny Rose will be allowed to leave. I mean, Danny Rose has basically been held hostage for the last 12 months. Definitely the last six. I don't understand why he wasn't released in the summer. Released the lad and let him go play football Summer. I don't know what... I mean, Gasaniga. I can only assume it's it's a a quota thing because there's absolutely no way anybody can watch him play and watch Joe Hart play and make a decision in 2021 that Joe Hart is the better goalkeeper. Or indeed, at any point since 2016. So, I'm not really sure what that's about, but... He's a solid goalkeeper. If you're in the championship or you need a good backup keeper in the Premier League, Gassinic is a good option. Chelsea are willing to give Frank Lampard more time as manager, but the situation is under constant review. Well, then they're not willing to give him more time. They're just waiting to let him hang himself. They're giving him just enough rope and seeing what he does with it. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, Max Allegri, Brendan Rodgers and Ralph Hasenhutl are considered primary options if he is dismissed. Right, well, let's let's dismiss the idea of Ralph. He's not leaving to Tampton mid-season. Rodgers could. He is that type, but I, I don't know. Would they really want him? He's He said some un- unflattering things about Chelsea in the past that clearly weren't well-received. Allegri and Tuchel are available. They're both substantially better than Rodgers as well, so I'd assume it'll be one of them. Uh, former Chelsea striker Andrei Shevchenko, currently in charge of the Ukrainian national team, has also been considered as a replacement. I will guarantee you he is not. Ajax and Wolves have joined the long list of clubs keen to sign out of favour Denmark midfielder Christian Eriksen. Um, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it. Arsenal have no plans to sell Mohamed Elneny in the January transfer window amid reported interest in Egyptian, in the Egyptian midfielder from Besiktas. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing well, so I, I don't know why they would sell him. They need him. He's, he's the, the, pure, the only pure ball winner they have. Um, so he's a good option for them to have, depending on what shape they want to play. I'd absolutely be keeping him. He's done well this year. Arsenal have offered German midfielder Mesut Ozil To Juventus in recent weeks But the Italian champions see Dejan Kulusevski As a future talent in that role Right, this is from CBS Sports This is something that somebody has made up This is nonsense Kulusevski and Ozil do not play the same position Kulusevski is also currently a starter for them anyway Uh, This is nonsense This is something somebody has made up In the hope that nobody would find out that they've made it up Arsenal are monitoring the situation of Argentine midfielder Emi Buendia, but yet to make a formal offer. Yeah, I I think he makes a lot of sense. I really do. Um, Arsenal are investigating the possibility of a player plus cash deal for Buendia trying to persuade Norwich to sell him, with England midfielders Joe Joe Willock and Reese Nelson among the players they are prepared to offer. Now, if if Norwich are really clever here, there is a way they come out well ahead. I think Nelson's a very, very talented player, and I would very much like to see him get regular game time. And I think Norwich would be a good club for that. I'm not as keen on Willock, but he is a good player. Is it Florinel Baligan? Is that the name of the young striker that's there at Arsenal? If they could try and get him as well. I mean for me I, I would demand Emil Smith Rowe. Simple as that. I would just demand him and demand him and demand him until they gave up. But um if, if you could get I mean if you get Smith Rowe and Nelson you'd be just laughing. Uh but if they could get, say, Nelson and Balogun, uh, or you know, Eddie and Ketia, maybe. If Arsenal really want Buendia, Norwich need another striker. You can't rely on Timo Pukki to do it in the Premier League. Week after week, he'll have a really good start like he did last year, and then he'll tail off. But if they could get even Eddie Nketiah and Kethia and Reese Nelson, that would help them massively. Um, lucrative offers for Buendia, Max Ahrens, and Todd Cantwell will all be ignored over the next month as Norwich look to return. That is just the official party line. I would bet if a decent offer comes in for Cantwell, he'll go. Um, he has had a he's had a falling out rather with. Uh, Daniel Farke and things haven't been good there all year But the looks of things Borussia Dortmund Sporting Director Michael Zork says he isn't ruling out the possibility of Julian Brand leaving the club for Arsenal during the summer, I don't think Brand makes sense and I, I love Julian Brand I think he's a tremendous footballer but I don't think he makes sense for Arsenal because I think Smith Rowe is a very very similar player and I, I think Smith Rowe's done really well and I don't know why, he, unless you're going for a different type of number 10 like a Buendia, I don't know why you'd make that move. Um, Manchester United and Argentina defender Marcos Rojo have, has held talks, over moved to Boca Juniors in his homeland, though a deal has still to be finalised. I, I mean, he has how he has continued to get money out of Manchester United to not play football is just a sensational thing. They sent him off on loan uh, to an Argentine club there last year and they paid 80% of his wages for him to get to live at home and and not play football for them. The form of Eric Bailly could convince Manchester United not to pursue another centre-back this, this month. Uh, the lack of faith in Oli Gunnar Solskjaer long-term is what will convince them not to pursue another centre-back because they don't want to spend any more money under Oli until they know they've got Champions League again. But, I mean, Eric Bailly is made of crisps, so he will get injured again very very quickly and then they'll all be lamenting the fact they didn't buy anybody Barcelona's top 3 transfer targets are Ginny Wijnaldum Eric Garcia and Memphis Depay but they face a difficult task to land them during the January transfer window and are more likely to target them as free transfers in the summer Barcelona have no money that is the fact of the matter so yes I would expect that Memphis and Eric Garcia for sure signed pre-contracts to go there, uh, and Ginny Wijnaldum may well do the same. Now, it is worth pointing out that the likelihood of Ronald Koeman, who is the one driving the bus to get Wijnaldum and Depay, the likelihood of him being there next season is very, very low. Multiple presidential candidates have already said he will not be the manager under them. Uh, So, you know, you'd have to be careful if you're a player going there because you want to play for Kuman Not that many players would want to play for kuman anyway. Uh, West Ham have opted against re-signing Shanghai SIPG's Austrian forward. Marco Arnautovic, as the 31-year-old, is considered too expensive. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Bayern Munich are in talks to sign... Reddings, England under twenty one fullback Omar Richards at the end of the season he's had a contract isn't he I mean I assume he would go to the Bayern Munich second team um, similar to the way that that kid did from Derby Dale I can't think of his name does a, a not Derby Tranmere There's was a kid at Tranmere a few years back ended up going there didn't really work out well for him uh, but maybe you know as as a, an opportunity something to Something to talk about later in your career just as the experience that might be worthwhile. But, I mean, if I was Omar Richards, I would be getting my agent to ring a club like Sid Hampton who could really do another left-back. He would be a good fit for them. Stylistically, he plays the way that Sid Hampton want to play. He's, a, he's good enough to play at the Premier League level, in my view. Um, Dale Jennings. Yes, thank you, Guy. That is the name of the kid that was at Tranmere went to Bayern, and I mean, it, it, just, it kind of killed his career in a way because he looked a very, very promising player, and now at the age of 28, he is playing in a regional league in Wales. You know, it, at Tranmere, he looked like a player who'd go on to have a good career in sort of League One championship level uh and now he's he's basically you know i i don't know if that is that non league is it is it is it professional is it amateur he was playing corn he'd actually retired and walked away from football for a couple of years at the age of twenty four which is staggering that he'd made that decision um whether he'd just you know fallen out of love with the game or what, I don't know. but um, it, It's a shame. It's, it really is a shame because uh, he was very, very talented. Um, I, I would say to, to Omar Richards, do not make that move. Do not make that move at all. Um, Bayern Munich and Austria utility player David Alaba put in wage demands which are proving a stumbling block with regards to his prospective move to Real Madrid. Well, Real Madrid, like Barcelona, don't have any money. Um, they're expected to sign Alaba beating Manchester United and Barcelona to a signature. Two of them clubs don't have any money and the other is not going to be a draw to Alaba at this point. Um, Barcelona pulled out of the transfer race for Alaba. Like Again, you've got three different sources, all reporting different things, all making things up as they go all nonsense he's he's on the market but i wouldn't imagine he's had any real talks with anybody yet um tottenham have put non-urgent contract talks on ice including negotiations with south korea ford young min son during the covid pandemic i would say making sure he's there long term is absolutely urgent because he is one of your best players uh, Liverpool's Canada afford. Liam Miller, is set to join Charlton on loan. Good luck to him. He's not going to make it to Liverpool, so League One is probably about the right level for him at this point. Definitely has the talent to play higher than that as well. Uh, both Hamza Chowdhury and DeMari Gray are looking to leave Leicester this month. Um, if that's true, I mean, Damari Gray is no surprise. But Hamza Chowdhury... Is is a you know an academy prospect there? has come through the ranks, been at the club since he was fourteen. He's local to Leicester. It would be a surprise to me if he wants to leave now. He might want to go on loan, and get regular football, but I doubt he wants to leave permanently. I'd imagine he's quite keen to be part of what is an exciting era for Leicester, where they've got this great group of of young players, and um. I just don't see that one. I really don't. Maybe, may, like, like I say, alone definitely. Get him out on loan, get him some games, because Rodgers doesn't use him enough. Rodgers prefers Nampali's Mendy, who, uh, for me, just I, I just don't like Nampali's Mendy. I just don't think he's up to much. Um, English winger Rolando Ahrens is set to leave Newcastle in January with Huddersfield close to signing him. He was one who broke through as a teenager and looked really, really exciting and looked like he might have a big future, but stagnated really badly. Uh, I think he's Raheem Sterling's cousin. No, he's Max Aaron's cousin. Sorry, he is Max Aaron's cousin. Um, I think he's related to Raheem Sterling as well, though. I really do. I could be wrong, but I think he's related to Raheem Sterling as well. Um, He's a talented player. It's a shame that his career hasn't worked the way that he, he had hoped. He's had some loans. None of them have really worked out for him. But at 25, still plenty of time to go somewhere and and, and have a, you know, a solid career. And then finally, West Brom boss Sam Allardyce says the majority of signings made, made this month will be loans or short-term contracts. Uh, well, that is a bit of a surprise that West Brom are not going to back Big Sam in the market. Big Sam has, of course, been out Uh, lamenting the fact that three deals have fallen through as a result of Brexit. I will remind you that Big Sam was very public in the fact that he voted for Brexit, was in favour of England leaving the EU, of Britain leaving the EU, I should say. Well, funny how that came back around to bite you in that big backside, isn't it, Sam? Let's have a look before we go at the Garth Crooks team of the week. Because it's always funny. He's got De Gea in goal. No real problem there. He's got Diaz from City. No problem there. He had a really good game against Chelsea. Ogbonna didn't have a particularly good game for me against West Ham. Or against, for West Ham against Everton. I thought he looked a little bit ropey. But, you know, it is what it is. Kieran Tierney, absolutely hit a great game. Back Osaka, really good game. Kevin De Bruyne, Yuri Telemans, both had really good games. Suchek, yeah, I mean he got the winner. Didn't play particularly well. Didn't really play particularly well, but had got the winner. Uh, then Son, like I said, and easy. I mean it's it's not mental this week. It's not ridiculous. He hasn't made any silly picks. There's a couple that are questionable, but you know it is it is Gareth Crooks, so. We'll let him away with it this week. He's not wrong this week. Um, that's it then. That is our show for today. Thank you very, very much for listening as always. Thank you to Guy Drinkle for his work behind the scenes and putting up with my nonsense. And thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. I will be back tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.